Our reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. You may follow on the overhead behind me, or might choose to read along with me on page 816 of the Pew Bible. This passage is entitled, Jesus Raises a Dead Girl and Heals a Sick Woman. Mark 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please, come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowded against you, around you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace 
and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithakum, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around the room. She was 12 years old. As this, at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone, not to let anyone know about this, and told them to give her something to eat. Maybe you will learn something from this passage of God's word today. Amen. Thanks, Betty, uh, for reading with great feeling. Mm. Uh, we're going to have a look at that passage, but like whenever we read the Bible, we need God's help to understand it and understand why he's included this in the scriptures for us. So please join me as I pray. Now, Father, we say thank you that we're actually able to hold a copy of the scriptures in our hands. Thank you for the opportunity we have to read your scriptures so regularly and freely. We appreciate there are many places in the world that don't have that privilege. We do thank you that it's your spirit who speaks through your word to us. And so we pray, having had the privilege of hearing and reading your word, we would also take the responsibility of listening and seeking to understand and putting into practice and living out 
your word. We thank you that you alone ultimately have the words of eternal life. And we thank you for the reminder earlier on that nothing else can actually last or fulfil or satisfy apart from your word in the scriptures. So we thank you. Please help us now. Amen. Uh, as most of you would know, I used to be um, up at a church at Lake Macquarie at Toronto, uh, at Toronto Baptist. And when we started there, there was a family with similar age children to us. Uh, we became good friends over the time that we were there. But in our last few years, Julie, uh, the wife and the mother, was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was difficult physically and emotionally for Julie and for her family. My wife, Liz, uh, and another lady began to meet with her every week as an encouragement and to pray, and they read a book on the Psalms each time they met. I prayed with Julie often. And I prayed for Julie, myself and my wife and I, often. And yet I found it difficult to pray for Julie's healing directly. One day Julie asked why I didn't pray specifically for her healing. And I explained I often felt the weight of expectation from people to pray for their healing in their desperate longing to be made well. And yet part of my fear was that in praying for those things, it's so easy to offer false hope. For most of the time, in a physical sense, I don't see that God brings healing to people. Plus I said, as I read the Bible, the apostles rarely pray for healing, but they pray for perseverance, they pray for love, they pray for godly character, they pray for perseverance, they pray for endurance. So I find it more authentic, I said to Julie, to ask God to heal if he knows that's best and to strengthen Julie and remind her of God's faithfulness and goodness and his presence and his promises. After we moved to Sydney, we kept in contact, still do, uh, with the family. Liz went back to teach piano. She was a piano teacher at that stage, and she went back, and, and every week she taught at a uh, different people, but she also met with Julie, uh, continuing to read the Psalms. But eventually the cancer could no longer be contained. Julie was declining. We visited Julie in hospital um, a couple of days before she died. She thanked me for teaching the Bible. She thanked me for laying foundations that enable her to grow in her depth 
and appreciation of God. She thanked me for investing in her life, God's word. I share that as I start, for I still find it challenging to pray specifically for people's healing as something isolated from them growing in Christ. Today we continue a series, Jesus Through the Eyes of Women, that focuses on healing. And I'm mindful as I speak, there'll be many people here who long for healing, for them or for their family or for their close friends. I'm mindful many people have prayed for healing have not, and have not received it. And the longing and even the disillusionment, the angst and the devastation that they may be feeling today. Uh, the series is connected to a book that, uh, by Re Rebecca McLaughlin, Jesus Through the Eyes of Women. And in that chapter, she focuses on a number of different women in the Bible and looking at healing through those women's eyes. I, I just want to pick up one passage that she deals with in that book, and that's the passage that Betty read out for us today. And I want to acknowledge that Don Carson has been very helpful for me uh, in this. Mark, in his Gospel, placed Jesus' healing of a woman within another healing of a girl whose father pleaded with Jesus. As with a sandwich, with two pieces of bread, the sandwich is not defined by the bread. But what defines the sandwich is what's in the middle. I don't ask for two pieces of bread with cheese in the middle, but I ask for a cheese sandwich or a salad sandwich or a jam sandwich. It's what's in the middle that's important. And for Mark, what is in the middle of this account is most important. And what's in the middle is this healing of a woman who suffered bleeding for 12 years. As we read through, there are similarities between both stories. In both, a female is restored by Jesus. In both, the woman's illness and the age of the girl are 12 years. In both, Jesus is ridiculed. And in Jewish law, both were unclean. And so being near Jesus should have made him unclean, but instead, for both, he makes them clean. We're told that Jairus was a synagogue ruler. A synagogue ruler was not a paid role, but Jairus would have had oversight for things in his role, things like the building, the upkeep of the scrolls, to ensure that there were people to read and to pray and to preach each week. And so Jairus would have had this role of society that would have been very respected. And so as Jairus approaches Jesus, it's not with a sense of arrogance, but rather with desperation. We read in verses 22 and 23, 
Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. We can't feel what Jairus feels, but put yourself in Jairus' shoes. Your little daughter is dying. It's a desperate situation. Try to feel what he feels. Jairus shows some faith as he expects Jesus to come. He has an expectation that Jesus may be able to make a difference. And Jesus willingly goes. Picture the crowd. There's masses of people, and yet Jesus willingly goes with Jairus. And then we find that Jesus willingly goes and gives time to another person also. Again, what would you have felt? Your daughter is dying, is so much desperation. There's a sense of relief and maybe elation as Jesus begins to go and then he stops and gives attention to somebody else. As I think about it, I think I'd be very agitated. I'd be incredibly anxious. And I may even be angry. I may want to say something to Jesus. Don't you realise the situation, the gravity of the situation? Well, this woman seems to have had complicated gynaecological issues which the doctors couldn't treat. And in fact, Mark tells us it cost all she had and despite giving so much money to doctors and medical people, she only grew worse. We find in verses 27 and 28, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And her touch brought immediately, immediate healing. In verse 30, at once Jesus realised the power had gone out from him, he turned around the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? What would you feel if you were the woman? A sense of joy, but then all of a sense, a sense of embarrassment because the focus now she feels is on her. It's interesting that Jesus was aware that power had gone from him. What does that mean? It's not clear. But Don Carson suggests it may be like a young dad, a young dad who enjoys lifting weights. He has weights in his hands and he's muscly and he enjoys lifting, building up his muscles. But he does that in a room and Don Carson just paints this picture. He does that in a room 
enjoys doing it with his eyes closed, lifting weights, a heavy weight on each arm. And as he climbs, closes his eyes and begins lifting those weights, the man's young son comes in, an infant. He sees his father lifting his weight, so he decides to hold on to one. He lifts the weight. And the father realises there's something different about the weight. He looks, he notices a difference and glances down and sees the child he loves and he smiles. He just continues lifting without stopping. He knew something was different. But it had no effect in terms of his lifting. Jesus knew the power had gone out from him. He was aware, so he asked, who touched my clothes? And we find the disciples berate Jesus, for the crowd is all around him. How can you say who touched the clothes? And I guess with Middle Eastern clothes, everybody is touching because they're all so close. And the woman, knowing she was healed, falls at Jesus' feet. And tells the truth. And in verse 34 we read, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This woman had been ostracised, pushed to the periphery of society and treated as an outsider for 12 years. She had lived with shame and loneliness By Jewish law, she could be condemned by being in the crowd as her bleeding made her unclean and anyone else in the vicinity. By law, she could have been judged and punished. And yet, instead of punishment, Jesus gives her acceptance and freedom and healing. This miracle, like all Jesus' miracles, are never ends in themselves. But all of Jesus' miracles point beyond themselves to what God's kingdom is like. The miracles point beyond themselves to God's kingdom where there is wholeness and restoration and value. It's interesting that John, in his gospel, when he writes about miracles, he never uses the word miracle. John uses the word sign. The miracles are always signs that point beyond themselves to something about God's kingdom, something about who Jesus is. And so when Jesus said, your faith has healed you, the word healed is literally can be translated, your faith has saved you. Salvation is not only about physical restoration, but rescue from sin and its curse in our lives. Salvation is about being made ready for heaven. So the beautiful truth of the gospel, when somebody is saved, inwardly 
they are already ready for heaven. Inwardly, nothing else needs to be done. They are new and complete. This healing, nor any of Jesus' healings, are isolated incidents. Rather, Jesus' miracles are to be seen in the light of Jesus' death, where he took our sin and sickness on himself. So this woman's healing points to the larger healing found in why Jesus came. Remember, we have this thing like a sandwich, two pieces of bread. What's in the middle is important. But now Mark returns to the other, as it were, the outside of the sandwich. As we return to Jairus, and that people come and tell Jairus his daughter is dead. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Well, if I was Jairus, the temptation would be now to blame Jesus. Had you not stopped, maybe my daughter would be all right. And yet Jairus continues to trust despite the news. Well, Jesus and Jairus arrive at Jairus' house and they arrive to weeping and wailing, to which Jesus gives the pronouncement, the child is not dead but asleep. And in the little room, Jesus with this little girl's parents, along with Peter, James and John, Jesus took her hand and said, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and walked around. What do we learn about Jesus through the eyes of women? I want to suggest three things. It's not about how good someone is, but how good Jesus is. Interestingly, while there was a similarity, Mark also contrasts the two healings. We know Jairus' name, but we don't know the woman's name. We know Jairus had influence in the community, while this woman was isolated and full of shame. Interesting, Jairus approached Jesus from the front. The woman comes from behind. She doesn't want to be seen. Jairus, while desperate, is bold. The woman is timid. And yet it's the woman's faith that Jesus commends. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Or, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Whereas Jairus' faith needs support. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Seeing Jesus through this woman's eyes assures us that we don't need to be well known to be transformed by Jesus. I don't know about you, but sometimes I fall into the trap of thinking, I need to get my act together before Jesus will help me. I need to get my act together before I pray and ask for something. Or I look at others 
who seem to have their lives together and think that Jesus would be more inclined to help them rather than me. But Jesus destroys those misconceptions through this woman. It's not about how good someone is, but it's about how good Jesus is. The second, it's not about the amount of faith, but where my faith is placed. Through this woman we find not how strong my faith is, but where it is placed. At times I can be desperate like Jairus and ask for Jesus' help. And yet, I'm still unsure that he'll do what he promises. And yet we find through this woman that faith in Jesus, even when it's timid and shy and insecure, is honoured even when we can't see results. And I take, and I trust you to take great heart that if a frightened, disgraced, broken woman, a person had her faith commended by Jesus, then you can be confident in that Jesus is for you. For we find it's not the faith of the respectable but it's those who know their weakness, those who trust and come with quiet confidence, knowing no one else can meet our deepest needs. And we hear those words, woman, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, daughter. Just one word, but daughter. What does daughter mean? You're part of family. I am for you. And thirdly, it's not about healing in this world, but salvation in this world and the next. As with Mark, seeing healing in a bigger picture of how Jesus saves through all he accomplished on the cross points us towards the new heaven and the new earth and what that is like. And yet we're human beings. We live in time and space. So often we want to be healed it's not wrong to pray for physical and mental and emotional healing. When someone goes through a diagnosis or a tragedy or things are going wrong, it's not, no one else knows the pain and agony and desperation. It's understandable to pray not to be in that situation. However, if I follow Jesus, if my grounds for following Jesus is so that I may be healed in this life, the reality is I'm going to die one day. 
If I want to be healed now, I'll need to be healed then, and I'll never be healed then, and I'll never be healed again. Death is approaching all of us. So we're called to live as citizens of heaven, where true healing will be, and there is no more mourning or suffering or pain. As I said about Julie, yeah. as we see Jesus through the miracle that this woman received, most of us, certainly it seems to me, will not be physically healed. So how do we live with the discomfort and the disappointment when we pray for healing and we don't see that healing? Certainly there's the perspective of being reminded that we're living for another kingdom. And one of the things that I often do when I visit people in hospital is pray and thank God for the value of the Australian healthcare system. There is so much that comes to people's health through what we have in Australia. But I want to finish in thinking about what does it mean when Jesus doesn't heal? It's important to be honest. Sometimes as Christians, I don't know if you may, maybe it's just me, sometimes there's almost two sides of my mind where I, I, I try to live who I should be and there's a part of me that feels something different, but I don't, it seems wrong to feel that. Be honest, but remember that God sees a perspective we don't see. God is working in ways that are not known to us. And so we're encouraged, even in our disappointment and disillusionment, to look forward. I was struck uh, many years ago by reading uh, a lament. Um, it was written by a guy called Daniel McConchie, who was left paralysed after a hit-and-run accident in 2007. He said, God has not healed my affliction, but he has taught me the power of lamenting to him. It's quite lengthy, so I just want to read the start of the lament and then how he finishes. O oh Lord, my God, why do you wait to show up? I cried out to you when trouble struck. I asked for your restoration. I know that you heard me. I know that you answered. Yet nothing. Nothing of meaning happens again today. Infinitesimal changes dog my days. I'm hounded by the prayers of the fickle, looking to me to prove their faith. Wearily I drag on, tiring of the waste, hating the horror, 
the pain, the suffering, the never-ending trial, the endless story drags on and on and on. He goes on towards the end. He says, which way is the path to life? Is it an unclimbable mountain or in a path tread by all but me and the others who are broken like I? Surely it is impossible for me alone to find and impossible for me to transverse. Alone I am finished, dust left for the broom. Who am I that God should remember me? My only salvation is that he should not forget his image or let his word be broken. He is faithful to us because he is faithful to himself. There is nothing I can do. In no way can I help. I sit in the ruins and wait and take comfort in those who lie in the ashes with me. But one day, by his promise, I will stand. Restored as his image of hope is fulfilled, the Lord will turn this horror into a fading dream and I will honour his name forever. One of the girls that I grew up with uh, married a, a, a young man uh, and in his, I guess, in his, they were missionaries in the Ivory Coast for many years and in his 40s he was diagnosed eventually with motor neuron disease uh, and there was just a slow decline until he died. But on the back of his funeral sheet, it had a picture of him in his younger days uh, on a tyre jumping off into a creek. And it just had the words down the bottom, I always get emotional, running and leaping and praising God. It's natural and understandable to want to be healed. Yet God sees the different perspective to us. And he calls us to trust because he is a good father. He tells us to look to the healing. The word healing and saved are the same word. To look to the healing at the cross. And remember, as Daniel McConchie ended, saying, but one day by his promise I will stand. Restored as his last message of hope is fulfilled, the Lord will turn this horror into a fading dream and I will honour his name forever. Amen. Can I pray briefly?
Our Father, we acknowledge our humanness before you. We acknowledge our desire for things to work out certain ways that we expect and when things come into our lives that we're not prepared for. We often find that our world is shattered. We look to the scriptures and we find that the Lord Jesus heals and we want him to heal in this world too. And we can be left disappointed and unsure what to think at times when that healing doesn't come. We do thank you when we hear stories when it does come. But sometimes that just adds to the angst within us in asking why not us. Please keep reminding us of that centre point in all history where the cross brings true healing and the eternal, not just temporal, the eternal nature of those who trust in you that we will honour your name forever. We don't always find it easy thinking about that in the midst of our own periods of being unwell or limited. But please help us to trust in what we say we believe in, we pray. We do thank you for the scriptures. We do thank you for your spirit. And we do thank you that you call us sons and daughters that remind us we are part of your family and we are complete inwardly even while our bodies grow old and suffer outwardly. Please help us, we pray, to live honestly, being honest with you, but help us also to try to live faithfully. Amen.